Hey, New Life family, welcome to the weekly podcast. We want to take a moment to say thank you so much for listening. We hope this message encourages you and helps you in some way today move forward in your relationship with Christ and others. We pray God blesses you wherever you are today. Now enjoy the message. This morning we are going to deviate just a bit from our anchored series. We're not done with that. We're, it's so, it's so much that I told Tim that we're going to take it in chunks and, and allow the prophetic to even kind of flow. You have to understand when a person who is uh, responsible for the delivery of the word on a, on a weekly basis, whomever, whomever that person or team of people are, there's going to be times when different servings of the word is needed. And so there's, there's times where you have to just go through the Bible line by line. And that is where you get your doctrine from. There is some that is going to be topical. There's going to be some that the unction of the Holy Spirit is going to be on it. So it's, it's more prophetic. Even if it comes in a teaching format, it's more prophetic. And so I think it, it's incumbent upon us to allow the Holy Spirit to flow and interrupt and do things like that. And it, and it not feel chaotic and it not feel like, oh, we're jumping from here to there. No, we're going to go back to that series probably in just a couple of weeks and, and we'll hit it hard again about being anchored in, in Christ uh, through the book of Hebrews. But I really felt uh, impressed on my spirit that God, several weeks ago actually, God began to lay something on my heart. Uh, it was it was while we was here on a Wednesday night prayer and I was I was actually just walking, pacing back and forth up here and the Lord just began to impress something in my heart of, of and, and I'll tell you about it here in a second, of, of where this uh, teaching and this sermon is coming from. Uh, so if, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter 32. We're going to mainly stay right in there, and I'm just going to do my best to kind of cast some vision what I believe God is, has us at this moment as a church, as a church body and what he is doing. While you're finding Genesis 32, we're going to read kind of from the end of the chapter, but then we're going to go to the beginning of the chapter to set up some context. But while you're finding that, I just want to say thank you to all the guys that came Thursday just after you got off work and you came and you just helped secure the building and it was that was just such a blessing we want to thank you guys for doing that that was that, that wasn't a small feat it wasn't a small task and i just want to publicly acknowledge jim jim and debbie they came here early early and before before a lot of the guys got here to even and they just came and they wanted to just be here with tim and i and so I want to personally thank you guys because that just your presence here and your support here really helped us. And so I, wanted, I just wanted to say publicly, we, Tim and I really appreciated that because we needed it. And Jim and I, we was, uh, that sounded like I said one word, didn't it? Jim and I. <laughs> Jim and I, you know, we was, we was kind of clowning around and he said, I guess the Lord's trying to change our... Uh, our ministry name to the open door ministry now because when they were here there was no doors on our front building and so I was like well you know 
as long as we at least need some see-through doors there. But we wanted to thank everybody that participated and helped. It was, it was a big blessing. So I've entitled this Crossing Over because as the Lord began to just impress this on my heart while I was praying, it's been several weeks ago now. I can't tell you the precise date, but it's been, it's been more than a couple. I was standing up here and I was, I was just praying kind of in, I don't want to say in general, cause I was praying specifically for the church on our Wednesday night prayer. And I, you know, I just sensed the presence of the Lord and just began to, even though I was walking and pacing, just began to weep before him. And, uh, I kind of, I got to a point where I quit praying and I just allowed the Holy Spirit to just minister for just, I don't know, it was a good five minutes or so, maybe even more than that. And so I was, just, I was just worshiping with the music and just pacing back and forth with my mind and my attention. And I sensed that the Holy Spirit just began to impress upon my heart what was happening and what was taking place in the Spirit for our church. And that we was at a very pivotal moment of a crossing over. And I, that doesn't necessarily mean something in the physical, although I believe that maybe it can be extended to the physical, but I do believe it's primarily spiritual. And the reason why I believe that it's primarily spiritual is because I believe that even in that moment, the Holy Spirit began to uh, just bring some clarity to my mind that had been a little bit confused, if I'm being honest. I had been walking in this confusion a little bit, just not having any kind of bearing or, or you know, whatever. And it was just like the Holy Ghost just began to put the plumb line so that I could get a bearing, so that I could begin to see. And, and just things came into focus, kind of. I'm just trying to describe to you what, what was kind of going on as the Spirit began to impress upon me about this crossing over. And, and so as things begin to just come, come into clarity through just, just the vision of the Holy Spirit, um, he began to just begin to almost like clear away the weeds. That what the enemy will do, what the enemy will do is when you begin to face something, he will try to get you strung out in the weeds. Because if you're strung out in the weeds, you don't see the path before you. And if you're strung out in the weeds, then all of a sudden, like, to just use a just kind of a silly terminology, we'll pick up a, a weed eater and we'll begin to hack at weeds. And God's purpose and plan is not for us to be keeper of the weeds. It's to stay on the path, the ancient path. Even Jeremiah tells us to uncover the ancient path. And sometimes we, we think we have to create new paths and certainly there, there is a logic to that. And certainly in, uh, in a certain format, that is, that is needed to, to break new ground. But that was not the case here. And the enemy will begin to swirl your mind, your emotions, and your circumstances so that you get caught up in the weeds of the circumstances versus keeping your eye focused on the main thing being the main thing. Say amen if you're following me so far. And we have to realize that when the enemy is trying to get us caught up in the weeds, he's doing that for a purpose. He's doing that not just for the simple fact of distraction, although that there's a play in that, but he's doing it for more than just distraction's sake. He's doing it, he's doing it to halt an assignment, to halt what God has purposed and what he has planned. 
And so as, as that clarity began to come to mind and the Holy Ghost began to speak to me about this crossing over moment, it came very quickly and very rapidly that what we have been experiencing is not carnal in form, but very much spiritual in form. Now, a lot of times our carnal nature, we will experience things just through carnality because we are in a carnal body. We are in a flesh and blood body. And because of that, we will experience things that are negative in nature. And we will experience things that we don't necessarily always want to. And sometimes of our own choosing, we, we then reap consequences because we've made certain decisions or we've made certain uh, just allies or just whatever with, with wickedness or whatever you want to, however you want to put that into terminology. Sometimes it's just out and out sin, okay? And so because of those things in, in our flesh, then we will have to walk out and reap consequences, although the Lord can even use that and turn it for our good. How many is glad for that? How many is glad that God took even your mess ups and your sinful decisions and, and, made your heart righteous again, and then took those sinful things and those sinful circumstances and then somehow wove it into the mystery of the grace of his mercy. And it actually ended up being like, well, listen, I don't want to go through that again, but thank God he used it for a testimony and it brought some strength to me or whatever it may be. God will do that because he's God and he's merciful and he's just, and we can't explain all of that. Sometimes, however, it is not any of those things. It is just downright out and out spiritual. And when it is spiritual, you have to understand that you can't get caught up in the weeds. And when you get caught up in the weeds, that's when not only you get distracted, but you come off of assignment. And when you come off of assignment, that is what the enemy is longing to get us to do, is to come off of assignment. If I am pressing against something that is about to break through and break open, and, and the goodness of the Lord and the light and the love of Jesus is about to be manifested, the enemy is going to do everything in his power to keep me from quit pressing in. And he will get me distracted in all of this. And if I get distracted in all of this, he don't care even if some good things come out of that as long as I quit pressing on this wall. And that is what the enemy has been doing in the spirit. And it's not about, and I appreciate what my friend Debbie said, it's not about flesh and blood. Get your eyes off of flesh and blood and get your knees on the ground and get your hands in the air and begin to declare and decree the name of Jesus over the situations. Some of the stuff, it might be true. It might be false. That part don't even matter. That's weeds. But we've got to stay on assignment. Because anytime the enemy is fighting like this, listen, we may be a small church and we may not have a lot of cash flow and we may not seem like we're very powerful, but I'm telling you, something has stirred up some demonic activity. Somebody's heart, somebody's pressing, somebody's prayers, somebody's... Uh, uh, just passion and just tenacity to not quit has stirred up the demonic realm. One of those things is when people start getting delivered from 18 years of addiction. Listen, I'm telling you, if you don't think that that stirred up some devils, when people come back who have been away from God and they start coming back and being faithful to the house of God, if you don't think that doesn't stir up some devils, 
When people begin to align their life up and say, I used to be okay doing this. I used to be okay living this way. But, man, the Holy Ghost has really been pressing on me, and I just want to make it right. I just want to do the right thing. And so they begin to do the right thing. That's going to stir up some devils. My friend Lori just told me right before church, next month she celebrates six years of sobriety. That will stir up devils. That's going to stir up devils. And so when the demonic realm gets stirred up, you can see it even when Jesus showed up, all of a sudden the demonic realm began to stir up. The demonic maniac came running, screaming, screeching. Can you imagine what the disciples thought? Because they had heard about all the things. They had probably maybe not witnessed it eyewitness, but he was a well-known character in the region. That's the reason why nobody went to the Gadarenes. But Jesus said, I've got to go to the Gadarenes because there's some people there that are called apostles. Because if you do some church history, you find out the demoniac, when he gets set free, he initially, this is in scripture, he initially wanted to come with Jesus. And Jesus said, I, no, I need you to go and tell of the goodness of God. And remember, everybody else, everybody else, Jesus is saying, you can go to the priest and you can go home, but keep it quiet. Don't, don't say nothing to nobody. How many remember in those scriptures where he always told everybody just to kind of keep it on the down low, so to speak? This man, he didn't tell that. He said, no, I need you to stay here, and I need you to begin to spread the word of the goodness of God, of the glory of God. Tell your testimony. And if you read then, if you get out of Scripture and you get into church history, that man, he didn't by title become this, but he became an apostle and began to start many of the churches. That demoniac that, that everybody else thought was crazy in Jesus' eyes was an apostle of the kingdom of God. Whew. And so that's why you have to be careful and not stare at the weeds because people that you're looking at that look like they're crazy. They look like they're wrapped up in drugs and alcohol. They look like they're an abusive person. And all those things could be true at the moment. But see, you and I can't see into the heart and the purpose and the mind of God. And all of that, all of that could be covering up an apostle. All of that could be covering up a revivalist. All of that could be covering up a faithful child of God. Are you all with me today? And so we're going to talk about the life of Jacob. And as I was praying before I read this scripture, I really felt impressed that this, that this spirit talked to me about a crossing over. And that we are in this period and, and the crossing over, I don't mean for it to sound like it, it is a one-day event. I, I believe it, it, is a, it is a period or a season. But there will come a time to when that season is over. And then after that season of crossing over, we're going to begin to walk in authority. And God willing, I'm going to talk to you about authority next week. We're not going to be able to get to that part of it today because I just know me and I'm just being honest. We're not going to get to that part today. But God willing, we're going to get to that part next week and we're going to talk about after the crossing over, the purpose of the crossing over is to walk in new identity because that new identity brings authority. 
And the Holy Ghost is wanting us to walk in the authority, not just even of him, because he's so humble and he is so gracious. The Holy Spirit is. He wants you to walk in the authority of Jesus. He always points everything to Jesus, even though he's the third person of the Godhead. He never takes any credit for himself because he is humble and he is kind and he is, he is gentle in nature, although he can shake your world if you don't say yes. He, he's meek in some ways, but then he is radical in some other ways. Don't tempt the Holy Ghost. So there's going to be this crossing over that I, I believe we've already, it's already been initiated. I believe we're right in the middle of it. And I believe this crossing over is, is going to do one, one main thing, but many smaller things. And that is just as Jacob pulled on the mantle of the incarnate Christ. This is what he did. And I'm going to tell you the punchline at first so that when we read it, it really begins to resonate with you. When it says that Jacob wrestled, some, some scripture translation says they wrestled with an angel. But when you read it rightly, you find out he wrestled with God. He wrestled with the incarnate Christ. And what he did is he said, I'm not going to let you go. And what he did was he pulled out his identity from the middle of the Savior. He pulled his new name right out. But there was a wrestling process that took place. And sometimes if we're going to walk under a new name, God don't just, here's your new name. Sometimes you're going to have to wrestle with God for it. And you're going to have to pull that name right out of the gut of God. But when you do, after the crossing over and after the sun has come up, that's when authority sets in. And you begin to walk in a new authority with a new way, with a new heart. So look what it's, this says, starting in verse 22. Look at this. I've only been speaking three minutes. <laughs> Starting, starting in verse 32, I'm going to try not to go too fast today. And he arose, the he here is Jacob, so we're talking about Jacob. So Jacob arose that night. Look, it's in the night season. And I'm going to show, I'm going to show you he's been in the, because something just, I just had an epiphany because I know what's in my notes. Goodness gracious. When you know the storyline of Jacob, you understand when, when you read about when he's coming into this place, uh, I want to say in verse, like in chapter 26 maybe. No, it would have been like 27, toward the end of 27, maybe 28, right in that area. As he leaves his father and his mother, Jacob, because he's just, he's just tricked Esau out of his birthright and his blessing. And it says all he takes with him is a staff. And he's going into, he's going into Hebron where his uncle Laban lives. Okay, And as you read the scriptures carefully... It says, that's, that's right about the time when it begins. It says, and the sun begins to set. 
And as the sun begins to set, he lays his head on a rock and he has a vision and a dream from God. And even though at that moment, his situation wasn't the ideal situation and he had just received what was rightfully his, but he received it in the wrong way. And God cares about the way you receive what is rightfully yours. Are y'all hearing me? Don't ever try to reach what God has already said is yours in a fashion that is unrighteous. Because God cares how you receive his promises. God has decreed his promises. It is his desire that we walk in those promises. But God does care how you obtain those promises. He never wants those promises obtained in an unrighteous way. And that's what has happened in Jacob's life. He lays his head down. He has a vision from the Lord. And in that vision, he sees an open heaven and a ladder extending from earth to heaven and angels ascending and descending. And we know, and I've taught you this, that what he was seeing was actually a, a type and shadow of Jesus. That Jesus, in, in, his, in, uh, in his later years when he is teaching and speaking, he actually talks to his disciples that I am that ladder. And he begins to declare what Jacob saw, that he was seeing me. And, and, I was, and angels were ascending, messengers were ascending and descending upon me. In other words, I became uh, the connection between what is going on in heaven and what is going on in earth. And if, as long as you climb up and down and through me and go through me, you have access to a realm that right now you don't have access to. You have access to messengers that right now you don't have access to. And so all of this was happening. And Jacob certainly didn't realize the complication and the and the consistency and all just everything was what it was about but he has this uh experience with the lord and and he when he wakes up from that experience he calls that place the house of god because he says surely the presence of the lord has been in this place and i knew it not what a sad statement that God had given him a vision and a dream of what was to come to pass, not only about who Jesus Christ the Messiah was, but also about what was going to happen in his own life based on the promises that he gave to his grandfather, but he didn't recognize the presence of God. What happened? He got caught up in the weeds. And he started trying to achieve the very thing that God said he could achieve, but <clears throat> he started getting caught up in everything else, and he started trying to achieve it with his own mentality, with his own striving, with his own resources, with his own work, and he began to do it in an unrighteous manner. But God still had his hand on him. And all this time goes by. In fact, it's very precisely that 21 years has went by. And now in the set of scriptures that we are currently reading, it says what? He arose that night. He has been in a 21-year night season. Now, when I say that, I'm not talking about literal night season. Obviously, there was 24 hours in a day. But he had been in a 21-year night season. Because when he first gets his encounter of his dream, going into this, it was night. The sun was setting. Right here, it tells us that he arose at night. And he began to 
also put a plan together because he hears that Esau is coming. And all of this time between the first visitation of the dream to this scripture right here has been roughly 21 years. The epiphany that I just had and the reason why I'm putting all this together, even in the context of my own thinking, is, is, it, is this, this is May, right? Because my, my months have gotten jumbled a bit. Next month, in fact, just two weeks from now, two weeks from now, Pastor Tim and I will celebrate 21 years of pastoring this church. So it's all kind of clicking together. It's all kind of clicking together. He has been in a season of 21 years where it has felt like night to him, that he has been proclaiming the promises of God, and he has seen dribs and drabs. He's seen small breakthroughs. He has seen different little things along the way. He knows that he's being blessed by God because we're going to read about it at some point in this scripture uh, at the beginning of 32 when he literally, we get the dialogue of what he prays and he gives all the glory to God, even though everything that he's done with his uncle, even though everything he's done with both Leah and Rachel and all these other concubines, even all this stuff is messed up. That's a whole nother scripture. That's a whole nother sermon. But even though all of that has taken place, he still understands that I am where I am and I have what I have and I'm about to step into what I'm stepping into only because of the grace and the blessing and the authority of God. And he begins to honor God that way. But he has been in a 21-year night season. But something is about to break through because he is about to go into a crossing over. And it says, and he arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons, and he crossed over. Everybody say crossed over. He crossed over the ford of Jabbok. Jabbok is like a small stream, and it's connected to the Jordan River. It's just a spring off of the Jordan River. So it was a much smaller area to cross over. And it says, he took them and he sent them over the brook. He's talking about all his possessions, his wives, his children, his concubines, all of those, his servants. He's sending them over. And he sent over what he had. So everything as far as relationally, all the relations that he had, and you have to understand he would have now had a large company. So this is just not 20 people. This is a ton of people that he has if you start counting up all the people. So he sends all of them over. It says, and Jacob was left alone. Let the weight of that just kind of hit your soul for a minute. He has this whole community that he's been walking with for 21 years that God, and he gives credit to God for the blessing of them, for the honor of them, and he is thanking God in the scriptures earlier to this, but he sends them over and Jacob is left alone. And it says, and a man wrestled with him when? Until there was a breaking of the day. And I believe this scripture right here is where we are at at this precise moment. That Many of us have filled, and when I say alone, I'm not saying technically, physically alone. I'm talking about you have been left alone in the presence of God, 
And we may, we may be with people in that moment, but God is getting us to be alone with him. And a man wrestled with him. Now think for just a moment. Leave that scripture right there for just a moment. Let me, let me give you some context. What has happened in earlier of this chapter has been this. He, he now has come to himself at the beginning of the chapter. It says, so Jacob went on his way and angels of God met him. This is chapter, this is verse 1 of, of verse 32. So Jacob went on his way and angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. And he called the name of that place Mahananim, which means two camps. I find it very interesting in this chapter of 32, in this precise moment of Jacob's life, because now he's had some experience. Now he's no longer an adolescent, and he's not even a young adult. He's not even what, what even Jewish tradition calls a young man. He is a full-fledged Jewish man and has this whole camp of family, wives, servants, and then maid servants, and all these people, and all this possession, he has now gained a lot of wealth, and therefore gained a lot of influence, and he's trying to get back to the land of promise, because he's been in Hebron for all these years, and he's trying to get back to the land of promise, where he left when he f first had the dream. When he first has the experience of who God is and God making an imprint on his mind and his heart. He's trying to get back to that place. But he says, if I go back there, you have to understand there's some past fear and some past anxiety that every time he thinks about the promises of God that begin to well up inside of him. Because there's a person named Esau that is still on the loose. And every once in a while, because he's been with his uncle, Laban, every once in a while, he would hear through the family line, yep, Esau's still mad. Esau still hates your guts. Esau is still planning a day. And all these other things. And he knows that it's true because before he leaves, his very own mother says, when Esau has cooled down, I will get word to you that it's time to come back home. And after 21 years, guess what? His mama never sent messenger to say, Esau has cooled down. So his fear and his anxiety and what would well up inside of him was legit. It was worth taking note of because he understood the dynamics of the situation. But he began to feel a pull of the spirit that says, if you're truly going to walk in the promises of God that I told you a long time ago, you can't do that in Hebron. You have to go back to the promised land. I never promised your grandfather and your father Hebron. I promised them Canaan land. And Hebron is outside the boundaries of that. And so as Jacob begins to make his way back, he understands that he's going to be faced with some fear and anxiety. In fact, if you keep reading at the beginning of this, it says... I got distracted right here. Let me, let me go back here. It says that he named this place, when he has this encounter with these angels of God, he names this place Mahanam, which means two camps. 
The reason why God was trying to get Jacob from where he was to where he currently or where he would ultimately be is because Jacob still had two things happening inside of him. You've seen it play out in the dynamic of his family. You've seen it play out in the dynamic of his personality. You've seen it play out in the dynamic of his walk with the Lord. He still had two camps. He's having an encounter with messengers of angels from God, and yet he is still divided. And part of the crossing over was to bring wholeness to Jacob, to bring wholeness to his family, to bring a oneness of the promises of God. So that the flesh and the spirit would not be contending anymore, but the flesh would die out and the spirit would take over and then he would run after the promises of God. Are y'all following me? And so this whole crossing over dynamic, I find it very interesting that it begins and it starts with an encounter with angels and it ends with a wrestling with the scripture says an angel, but we find out later it's the incarnate Christ. And so this crossing over period happens in the middle of two dynamic encounters that Jacob is having. The first one is to initiate, the first one he has just this God-given dream. The next time he has an encounter, he has encounters with legitimate angels. And he names that place Mahanam, which means two camps. And God says, listen, I've sent you a dream. And you came to the altar. I sent you some angels, and you named that place, but you named it after flesh. You named it after your current circumstances, two camps. I never called you to be two camps. I called you to be one family. I called you to be one family, not two families. Not two camps. Why? Because I'm going to bring one nation out of you. And if you are a divided family, you're going to be a divided nation. So I can't bring a nation out of you until you fix the wholeness inside of you. And so he has this encounter. God sends him a vision and a dream. He acknowledges that it's the dream of God. He acknowledges that it's the presence of God. But he still walks in an old identity. And so 21 years later, God sends some angels. He acknowledges that it's an encounter of God. He acknowledges that these are supernatural beings. And he names that place. But here, he's still not getting it. He's naming it after the flesh. And so God says, Jesus, can you go down there and straighten this cat out? Because the vision didn't do it. The messengers didn't do it. Maybe if you do it. So if you're noticing some of the encounters that you've had with the Lord intensifying, maybe it's because you didn't really grasp a hold of what God was trying to tell you in the dream and with the encounters with the angels. But that's a whole other subject. So he gets to this place, and then he says this. He says, Then Jacob sent the messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, And he commanded them, saying, Speak thus to my lord Esau. Thus your servant Jacob says, I have dwelt with Laban and stayed there until now. And I have oxen and donkeys and flocks and male and female servants. And I have... And I have sent to tell my Lord that I may find favor in your sight. And he begins to craft this plan. He begins to organize this 
structure of how he thinks it's going to be when he encounters his worst nightmare. But God is trying to tell him, if you'll just lean on me, I will take care of the nightmare. But Jacob is still divided because he just named this place two families or two camps because he's short-sighted because he hasn't yet seen the one nation yet. Whoo. He, he, he's too short-sighted. He's not seeing far enough in the future. He knows what his grandfather has said, and he knows what his father has said, but he himself yet has not seen it. He's just relying on what they have said. And if, if he had seen it, then he would say he would have named this place different, but he's still only looking for himself. And he says this is a place that's Behold, it's two families, and God said, no, it's not two families. It's not two camps. It can only be one camp. There can only be one kingdom. And so he, he devises this scheme. He devises this plan, and he says, I'm going to send so many servants, and each servant I'm going to give all these goats and camels and all these sheep and oxen and all this stuff, and I'm going to send a few here, and then a few days are going to go by, and I'm going to send a few more. And what they're going to do is I'm just going to give this onslaught of favor and gifts to Esau, and maybe I can win him back with bribery, because let's call it what it was. It was bribery. That if I just keep giving and keep giving and keep giving, the gifts will soften his heart. But I'm telling you, gifts will never soften a person's heart. Y'all need to hear the underlining of that, because that's both true in the in the physical, but it's also true in the spirit. Gifts are never going to soften a person's heart. Gifts are never going to change a person's mind. Gifts are never going to turn somebody's conscience around. Only the Holy Ghost and the anointing and the power of God can do that. And so he does all of that and he sends all of that out. And he gets to this place where then he begins to cry out to God. And he has this, so all of that has already taken place. Understand this, all of that has already taken place. And now we come to this set of scriptures that that I've been reading to you. And it says that he sends over his servants, he sends over his sons, his daughters, he sends over his wives, he sends over all of his animals, he sends them over. They have now crossed, because it took them some time, they have now crossed over the Jabbok Ford. And he is left there alone. Understand this. He's thinking about this scheme. He's thinking about this structure. He's thinking about this plan that he has already initiated and already put it into practice. And he's telling these guys, he's telling his family, he's telling all his servants, once you get across, I want you to divide up. This, these sons go with this mama and these sons go with your mama and we're going to divide the servants and we're going to divide so that if Esau does come with a sword because he's already heard that Esau has 400 men with him and if Esau's coming with 400 men he's not coming to play uno he's not coming to have game family night (laughs) hey bro you want to get together and just play some ping pong no you don't need 400 men to do that he's coming Because when he first starts out, he's coming to annihilate him. He's bringing an armed force, if you will. He's gotten all of his buddies because he has accumulated things too. And he is coming out 
to disintegrate the one who stole everything from him. And so he hears that. And so he's trying to soften the blow. And here's the reason why he's not fully understanding who God is in this moment. Because he's willing to sacrifice half. As long as I can keep half. Because he's dividing them. Because anything you announce of what it is, you will have to follow up in action. So before he ever divides it, at the end of chapter 32, he's already claimed that this is a place of two camps. This is a place of two families. And so now when he hears Esau's coming and he's bringing 400 men, he says, okay, if this is a place of two camps, then let me divide the two camps. You kids go with your mama. You kids go with your mama. I'm going to split the, split the animals even down. And if Esau comes from this way, I'm sorry. <laughs> I love you. But if Esau comes from this way, I'm sorry. I love you. But note, notice the only one not getting hit. Y'all are quiet in here. Is the person putting the structure together. Because he's at the end. He sent out this two camps. It's never supposed to be divided. He sends out two camps. And he's going to wait for messengers because he's, he's got them staggered. And when the messenger says, hey, Esau is coming around this direction, and I'm sorry, but Leah and her family are going to be destroyed. Jacob's going to go this way. But if the messengers come from this direction and said, I'm sorry, Esau and his 400 men are coming right for Rachel and all of that's going to be destroyed, then, then Jacob had a plan to come this way. And it didn't matter which way he went, he was still coming out with half. And God never wanted him to have half. He always wanted him to walk in wholeness. But to walk in wholeness, sometimes you got to send it all across because if you look up the name of this Jabok Ford, it means this. It means emptying out. And up until this point, Jacob has truly never emptied himself out. He's gotten low. He's called on the name of the Lord. But he's always walked in the name of Jacob. He's always walked under the identity of who he is, which is, if I can just figure it out, if I can just figure out how to get my birthright, if I can just figure out how, do I, how I can get the blessing of my father, if I can just figure out how to get Rachel, if I can just figure out how, how to not be with Leah and get Rachel again, who I thought I was getting in the first place, if I can just figure out how to be better than my uncle Laban, if I can just figure out how to get more sheep. And he's always trying to put a plan together. And his plans are always divided and always causing a div division, not just within the outside, but within who he is. Because out of one side, he's claiming the promises of God, but out of the other, he's the one in the control seat. Y'all are quiet in this place. I'm telling you, this came from the Lord because I was prepared to preach in Hebrews. It says, and Jacob was left alone. Let that weight of that sentence just rest on your heart and your soul. Jacob was left alone. God will allow things to happen in our lives in order to get us in a place called alone. Y'all hear me? 
He doesn't want us to stay there. He doesn't want us to camp there. But he will allow us to get to a place called alone. And the purpose of that is to wrestle what is in you out of you and pull from Jesus what is in him about you out. That's the purpose of the season of alone. Now, when I, again, when I say alone, you may not be physically alone. You may have family. You may have a spouse. You may have children. But I'm telling you, in the spirit, God will sometimes allow you to be alone. And that person, at that moment, has to wrestle with themselves. Why? Because Jacob has already said, this is a place of two camps. And God says, Jesus, go down there. Because this cannot be a place of two camps. Because I'm about to pull one magnificent nation out of him. And out of, out of him, I'm going to pull a prince of Egypt. And out of him, if, if he don't get it straight, then all of his family's not going to get it straight. And if he don't get it straight, then there's a whole country in Egypt that's going to be lost. Come on, sometimes we forget about the big picture. Because in, in American culture, we have gotten so short-sighted about what I'm going to do for God that sometimes God don't care about what we're going to do for God anymore because he's more concerned about the timeline. But we have, we have been preached to about personal destiny. And listen, there is a thing of personal destiny. There is something to that. There is personal ministry. There is something where we are to align ourselves up with God. There is a place for that. But that is not the sole focus. And for the longest time, the American church has been solely focused on a personal ministry that we have forgotten about the ecclesia ministry. And because we've forgotten about the ecclesia ministry, we see our our city's crumbling. We see famine hitting the land. We see topsy-turvy in finances just like we did in Egypt. And God is saying, Jacob, as much as I love you, you can't have that mindset. As much as I've already blessed you, you can't have a, a dividedness in your identity. Look at this. It says he's left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the dawn or the breaking of the day. How many has ever said in your prayer, and maybe you haven't used this terminology, but you said in your prayer, God, when is the new day coming? When, and in, in that expression, it means just when is what I've been walking through going to be done and then there's just going to be a new day. Raise your hand if you said something to that effect. God, when is the new day coming? Jacob had to ask himself that. We don't see it necessarily in Scripture, but I, I'm just putting my own uh, thinking in there. Jacob had to say it over and over. God, when is my new day coming? As soon as you wrestle with me. As soon as you get alone. But here's the thing, you can't wrestle while Rachel's standing beside you. And you can't wrestle while Leah's standing beside you. And you can't wrestle while your 11 sons are standing beside you. And you can't wrestle with me while all your surrounding possessions are beside you. And you can't wrestle with me. You have to wrestle with me alone. You have to cross the Jabbok forward, which means a place of emptying out. You have to empty out all of your plans, all of your desires, all of your structures, all of how you thought it was going to be. 
You have to empty out all of that. And then after the emptying process, now you're ready to wrestle. What was God trying to do with this wrestling? He was trying to make him come to a place of weakness in himself so that he would learn to rely on God. Because as long as he was strong in him himself, he was not relying on God. And so he was bringing him to a place. Now picture this. He already knows, okay, so he's already sent everybody ahead. And he already knows that Esau is coming. He is left alone. Now he has nobody. There's nothing there but him. And he's emptying out this over this period of crossing over this Jabbok. He's emptying out all of this. He's probably talking to himself like we do. He's talking to himself. And he just kind of peeks up and he sees a man coming. And from a distance, his heart's pounding. Sweat is beaded up because he's like, oh, I've just sent everybody ahead of me. And now I see a man. Oh, my goodness, it's Esau. Esau has found me in my alone place. But as the man gets closer and closer, he noticed, oh, that, don't, that guy's not walking like Esau. That guy don't look like Esau. Where did this guy come from? And he comes up, and the, the guy who we know as the incarnate Christ initiates a wrestling match with Jacob. He's just come out of a 21-year night season. He's just emptied himself out. He's just prayed to God, which if, if you dissect the prayer that he prays earlier in this chapter, it really is a model prayer of how you and I should pray. Just, just topical form. And so he's doing all the right things. He's doing everything. He, he's leaving Hebron, and he's coming back to Canaan. He's coming back to the land of promise. He's coming back to where he first built an altar. That's where he set out to. But he sees this man walking up, and he's thinking at first it's Esau, but then he recognizes, oh, this ain't Esau. Who's this? I've never seen this person before. Because Jesus now is showing him a side of himself that he's never seen before. Because Jesus don't show you while you're sleeping who he is. And Jesus don't show you who he is while you're satisfied with angels. You know what that's equivalent to? Being satisfied with good church services. Jesus don't, Jesus don't show himself. Jesus only shows himself and reveals himself to people who are standing alone. Bare before him. Everything out in the open to who Jesus is because his eyes are all-knowing and all-piercing anyway. And Jesus initiates a wrestling match. It doesn't say Jacob threw his staff down and went and did a high bomb off the top row. It says, and the man wrestled. Jesus came up. Didn't even have to ask the guy's name. Already knew it was Jacob. I love this part of the sermon. <laughs> he didn't have to say, hey, are you Jacob? No. He knew he was Jacob. And the man initiated 
Now, how he initiated it, I don't know. I don't know if he put him in a headlock. I don't know if he wrapped an arm around. I don't know if he pushed him over because now he's, he's a little bit older because it's been 21 years. I don't know how he initiated, but he initiated some kind of contact because he's drawing physical strength out of Jacob. It, is the thing on the blink? I see it's kind of messing up. Put, up. put up where we left off. 32 verse, and Jacob was left alone, and the man wrestled with him, look, until the breaking of day. Be prepared when you're asking God, God, when is the new day coming? As soon as we are done with our wrestling match. God, I want a new day, but I don't want to wrestle with you. You have to wrestle with me, Amika, because if you don't wrestle with me, you're going to still call things that are not proper, proper. You're going to still try to divide two families. You're still going to try to uh, put schematics into place. You're going to still try to figure it all out on your own. Stand up. And so you want the new day? I've come to bring you the new day. Yes, he's bringing the new day. We can all get excited over that. We can all be like, yes, the new day is starting tomorrow. But it only starts tomorrow when you allow Jesus to do one of these. Don't pull up too hard. I'm 52. (laughs) Here, do this one. (laughs) This one goes up further. This one's got a little hitch in its get-along right there. We all pray for the new day because there's new mercies. There's new hopes, there's new dreams, there's new visions, there's new promises, there's fulfillment, there's authority. We're going to learn about that next week. And we want the authority, we want the new dreams, but God says you can't walk in the newness until you wrestle the old out of you. And it says, and they wrestled, and not just for an hour, and not just for two hours, but they wrestled all night long until the sun is coming up it's starting to spring up and the incarnate Christ says if I stay here too long you're going to see who I am and because I'm trying to protect you you can't see who I am so let me go let me go I got to get out of here I'm only here for the night season Let me go, because when you start walking in the new day, you don't need my physical presence anymore because you're going to be walking in the spirit of the newness of your spirit. Jesus did the same thing. When Jesus rose from the dead and Mary tried to cling and Peter tried to cling and Bartholomew tried to cling, he said, listen, you don't need me here in the flesh anymore because I'm going to go sit at the right hand of the Father and I'm going to intercede for you that your faith not fail you. But I'm going to send a new spirit. That's why every one of you that don't have the baptism of the Holy Ghost, the first thing on your priority list is, God, I want baptism of the Holy Ghost with evidence of tongues. Why? It's a new spirit. You can't do the things that Jesus did without his spirit. You can't walk the way he did without his spirit. This was a foreshadow of what Jesus was going to do in the natural. 
So Jesus is saying, my time is up. I got to get out of here. But Jacob is saying, no, he's sweaty. He's worn out. He's breathless. He's alone. He probably has a hoarse throat. He's saying, I'm not going to let you go. Have you ever gotten a little bit perturbed with God? Like maybe not in a bad way, but kind of in a bold way. But even in that boldness, you're like, ooh, maybe I crossed the line right there. Yeah. <laughs> and Jacob is like, no, I am empty. I am broken. I've already sent everybody across, and I'm not leaving here the same. And Jesus, in my imagination, says, you're right. You're not leaving here the same. But it's not because you're going to walk physically hand in hand with me. It's because you're going to walk with a new spirit you're still going to walk in the flesh, but your flesh is only the shell of who you are. You're going to walk with a new spirit. And it says, and Jesus reaches in and touches his thigh. And he touches his thigh to the place that he has to grab a hold of Jesus. Because now he's weak. Now he has nothing to lean on but what he has pulled out. He says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And Jesus says, what is your name? He says, my name is Jacob. And for the first time, he admits who he is. For the first time, he admits, I'm the one that likes to put it all together. I'm the one that likes to make sure everything is going according to plan. I'm a transplanter. I'm, a, I'm the one who likes to be in control. That's Jacob. And now he's lost all of his control. And he confesses, I'm Jacob. And the incarnate Christ now says, and because of your confession... Because you was willing to do the crossover, because you was really willing to walk through this night season of crossing over, you shall no longer be called Jacob. You've walked for 21 years under your name, but now I'm here to give you a new name because you've pulled it out of me. And your name shall no longer be called Jacob. If you can find that verse for him, Tom, help him. It's, it's, in, that, it's in that set of scriptures right there where he wrestles with the Lord because I want to get it verbatim. It should be like the next verse or two. So like 24, 20, there you go. And he says, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. Look, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. So this is what he gives him. He gives him a new name. He says, your name is no longer going to be called what man has called you. Your name is no longer going to be called what you have called you. Your name is going to be called what I have called you. And he says, I've called you Israel, for you have wrestled with God. And you've had a tendency to wrestle with man. Jesus always kind of slips in, you know, a a boomerang. Because we always think we're the good ones. Jesus said, Jacob, you ain't always been the good one because you've wrestled with a few men. And Jacob has the audacity. He's broken. He's tired, he's sweaty, he's drained, 
he's empty, and now he's got a broken hip. And he's resting. He's pulling out of the DNA of the kingdom of God into his own spirit. And he says, tell me your name. And Jesus says, why are you asking my name? Why are you asking my name? I think he kind of said it sarcastically myself. Jacob, I just told you who I was. Y'all missed it. Jesus already told Jacob who he was. Because Jacob was still so self-conscious. Now I'm broken. I want the new day. Now now I'm, I'm weak. Just tell me your name. I'm just going to soak in worship until I find out who you are. Jesus is like, get up. I already told you who I am. That's one of the reasons why we did a lot of praise this morning. Because this is not the season to be soaking in worship. This is the season to be declaring through praise what he has already told us so that we can walk in what he's already told us. He's like, tell me your name. He said, and your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. Look, for you have wrestled with Jacob's like, I know what you're saying, but what's your name? Who are you? Jesus is, aye, aye, aye. You're no longer Jacob, you're Israel, for you have wrestled with God. I am God. That's who I am. So even in these seasons of distraction and the season of where it feels as if you're emptying out, and if, if we're being honest, it feels like we're being emptied out even as a church. Even in this season... He's already told us, church, who he is. He's already told us who he is. And as I wrap this up, because I'm not even going to take a look at my notes, because I haven't so far, so why start now? (laughs) So he, let me wrap this up with one little thing. When he goes into this season, it says all he has is a staff. All he has is a staff. And during 21 years, even though, even though he wasn't at the level of maturity that he should have been, even though he wasn't walking in the fullness of what he should have been, God was still faithful. And God was still blessing. Aren't you glad that God is still faithful? Even when we don't walk in the maturity that we should, and even when we don't walk in the faithful, God was still faithful, and he was still blessing, and he was still keeping, and he was still holding on to the promises. But God said, Jacob, I I don't want you just, because here's here's the craziest thing. When Jacob starts, it says when he has his staff, and he starts praying to God, he starts telling him, you're the God of Abraham, and you're the God of Isaac. But at the beginning of chapter 32, he cannot say you're the God of Jacob yet. He can't say it. But the good thing about it is he is drawing from wells of ancestry. 
He is drawing from the wells of ancestry. But there comes a time when God doesn't want you to only draw from the wells of ancestry. God is wanting you to dig a well. God is wanting you to dig a well. God was wanting Jacob to dig a well. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. I don't know if y'all... God was wanting Jacob to dig a well. You can flip over to John. I believe it's John chapter 4. And it says, And Jesus said, I must go through Samaria. And as he comes up to Jacob's well, he sees a woman sitting there who's trying to draw water in the middle of the day. Jacob's well became an opportunity for the calling of a female evangelist because Jacob drew a well. The purpose of you drawing and digging a well is not just for you only. Sure, you will, you will receive benefit from it. You will receive compensation from it, and God will justly reward you for it. But God wants to do so much more, even through your well. Because at the end of this chapter, it says, and as he begins to declare who he is, he begins to say, now I can see you're the God of Abraham, you're the God of Isaac, and you're the God of Israel, the one who has wrestled with God. We are in a crossing over moment. Our church is in a crossing over moment. The purpose, you can start some music back there, guys. The purpose, start some praise and worship music, if you will, some actual worship music. <clears throat> the purpose is not just to break you down. The purpose is to align whatever is divided in you up to the promise. Because if we're not careful, we will, we will learn to live a divided life and be okay with it. And God is saying in this 2023 season of the church, you can't, you can't live a divided life anymore. Your heart, your emotion, your spirit, it all has to line up to what I have called you to be. And you look at the difference of Jacob's life. He starts walking in an authority that he never walked in before the emptying out. And at the very end of his life, I find this so fascinating. Because from this moment on, he, you know, we've heard this, we've read this. He walks with the limp. His, his walk is significantly different. Significantly different in his spirit and in the physical. He's noticeable. His walk is noticeable. To the place that the Jewish people... Even some of the kosher Jews now still over in Israel won't eat certain muscles around the hip socket because of this whole fiasco that happened with Jacob. But if you, I find this fascinating about Jacob's life is he starts this night season, this 21 season that we're talking about here with just a staff. But he never leaned on it. He just held it. He held it like a possession because it, it had ancestry to it it had it came from his father it was part of the blessing it would have been part of the inheritance that Isaac would have blessed he would have given him the staff that was given his father and they would have carved their name in it and that's things that got passed down as long as you know they kept it 
kept it going. So the staff, he had it in his hand, but he didn't lean on it. He just walked with it. Look at my staff. I have a staff. I have a heritage. And it was noticeable. People knew who he, they knew who he was based on his staff. But at the end of his life, people knew who he was based on his walk. It wasn't just based on his staff. Yet at the very end of his life, when he's in Egypt now, and Joseph is the prince of Egypt and second in command, and he himself is about to pass away, all of his sons come and say, Father, we need you to bless us. Do you think they was asking him that when they were still in Hebron? Mm -mm. And as he's standing there, the scripture is so clear. It says, and as he leaned on his staff, he put his hand out and he began to bless each one of his sons. And every prophetic utterance that came out of his mouth came to fruition. Because now he was not prophesying from a soulish nature. Now he's prophesying because he's leaning on the staff. Because of what has happened in his walk. Oh, would it be glorious that at the end of our life that we would have such a walk with God. And we would so empty ourselves out with God. That the reward would not be, oh, you've had this many, or you've did this, or you've accomplished that. And those would certainly be wonderful accolades to have. But oh, what it could be like if at the end of our existence here on earth, if Jesus could stand up before the ascension to the throne with him, that he would say, because you learned to lean on me, I kept every word that prophesied out of your mouth true. Because you prophesied it through your spirit and not your, you was no longer divided, but you came into alignment. I'm going to ask everyone to stand to their feet.